from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses uh, 1 to 18. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. <coughs> Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. <coughs> Sorry. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. At the word of the, and the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also, anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel. And anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel, Mehalah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. Thanks, Celeste. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we pray that you uh, take the words that I've prepared and that you speak through me and that you... Um, you enlighten our word, the, the word that you've you've writ, pr, written in One Kings, and that you um, the story of Elijah, uh, the ministry that you did through him. You, we pray that you make it relevant to us, and you show what it means for us today. Amen. Proverbs eighteen verse fourteen says, "The human spirit can endure in sickness, but a crushed spirit 
Who can bear? The human spirit or our, our mind with its thoughts and f- um, feelings and emotions can help us through all kinds of physical illnesses, you know, with the willpower, the drive to go on. But when it's our mind that's not working properly, uh, then that's really hard. At different times throughout my life, I've, I've struggled with anxiety I used to as a kid, but I didn't actually know that. I didn't have a language for it. And it wasn't until I was an adult um, and I I was experiencing anxiety and I went to a psychologist and the psychologist said, you're experiencing anxiety. And he explained to me what it is. After a a few sessions of seeing him, I realised, ah, this is something that I've experienced at different times throughout my whole life. And I can especially remember it as a kid. And I know many of you have had or continue to have various kinds of mental illnesses. Depression and anxiety is quite common and there are other kinds of mental illnesses too. And some of you are medicated, some of you see doctors, some of you see psychologists. It's all very common. One in five, uh, the, the statistic seems to be, have a mental illness at one point in their life and this includes Christians. And so one of the reasons why it's really good to talk about mental health is because um, our mind, our body and our spirit are overlapping and intersecting aspects to our person. They all interact and affect each other. And so if you are sick, uh, physically sick, it often affects your emotions. For some, it can make you feel a bit depressed, depending on what it is, or it can heighten your anxiety. Or you may have also experienced it affect your spiritual life as well. Similarly, when your spiritual life is not in great shape, this can affect your thought life and for some people their physical health as well. The author David Murray says this, The depressed believer cannot concentrate to read or pray as she doesn't want to meet people. She may avoid church and fellowship. She often feels God has abandoned her. These are all all the sorts of things that can happen to us. When we feel, uh, when we are depressed or have anxiety, we can develop also a kind of a false guilt as Christians because we tell ourselves, oh, we shouldn't be feeling this way because I'm a Christian and I'm not supposed to feel this way. Christians don't feel depressed, do they? Um, I remember when I had a bad bout of anxiety, I, I was telling myself I was a bad Christian, I'm a bad minister, I should quit. All these kind of thoughts can run around your head um, and... Uh, You know, the physical, the spiritual, the emotional, they all intersect. So we should talk about it, and we are today, as we look at Elijah, the next bit in the story. Well, we've we've skipped over a chapter, and I'll tell you about what happens in that as well. This is one of the famous cases of depression and anxiety in the Bible. Last week, when we introduced Elijah from in 1 Kings at chapter 17, we saw um, this prophet emerge, and that... um, he goes and tells King Ahab, the Baal-worshipping King Ahab, that God was going to bring a drought to Israel. And then God takes him um, and gives him all these experiences of having to depend on him. So he, um, during the drought, he is taken to some, a brook and there's some ravens that bring him food and there's the water from the brook. And then later on, God takes him to a widow and he has to learn to depend on the, the generosity and the hospitality of the widow um, this was a time of learning 
to, to depend on the God who provides. And um, because of what Elijah had told King Ahab, he was enemy number one for King Ahab. Um, and in chapter 18, which we've jumped over, I'll just give you the summary because it's really important as we understand chapter 19, what's going on. Elijah returns to meet with King Ahab to say that God was going to end the drought. This was a three and a half year drought. And Ahab and he had this kind of argument and Ahab was blaming Elijah and Elijah was telling Ahab, no, he did the wrong thing in worshipping Baal. And so after this argy-bargy, Elijah set up a competition of the gods, a competition between the Lord God of Israel versus Baal and Asherah. They were the two god and goddesses that um, the Israelites, through the leadership of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, were worshipping. <clears throat> and so this competition involved that Elijah set up involved um, setting up a shrine, or uh, like an altar, and each team would have a bull to sacrifice to their god. And um, the prophets of Baal would have one altar, and uh, Elijah was going to have another altar. And Elijah said, what's going to happen is, we're going to set up our altars, and who, whosoever God lights the altar on fire, that's the true God. And um, it's a pretty risky competition to set up, if you ask me. But um, they agreed. And so what happened was, everyone came, all the Israelites, it was a big event, and thousands of people, and all the prophets of Baal came, and they had their bull, and they chopped up the bull, it was pretty gross. They set up their altar, and they started dancing around. So they went first in the competition. They started dancing around and, you know, doing all their things. And like, have you ever seen Indiana Jones and the Temple of Dune, the, the, the second one? And they're all dressed up and they're doing all their things, you know, that bit of the movie. It was a bit like that. And I uh, went on and on all night and singing songs and praying and, and nothing happens. And Elijah just mocked them and said, what's going on with your God? Is he uh, a bit busy? Is he but it says, is he resting or something? Or, but it's Hebrew anyway. Um, so anyway, nothing happens. And then it's Elijah's turn and he prays and then the Lord God of Israel lights the, the altar and everyone is blown away. I, King Ahab is blown away. The Israelites are blown away. They all fall down and they're... And they're repenting and they're saying sorry and they're, they're acknowledging the Lord God of Israel. And this was a massive victory for Elijah. I mean, the, everyone saw it. It was his time to step up from, you know, getting out from behind the ravens and the widows and now on public display. And everyone could see how incredible he was. And he himself thought that he had finally solved the problem of Israel's idolatry and the king and queen's idolatry and so he was pretty confident that this was a ministry success a breathtaking ministry success well he was on a high for a short period and then it all falls apart so i've got three points for the sermon because good to have three points some people say you shouldn't but i say you should um first of all even great prophets get depression and anxiety that's the first point. Second point, even great prophets can learn from their depression and anxiety. And the third point is, even great prophets can do ministry with depression and anxiety. So the first point, even great prophets get depression and anxiety. 
So at the start of chapter 19. After King Ahab goes and tells Queen Jezebel what had happened. She obviously didn't go and watch this whole performance because she hates Elijah so much. Ahab goes and tells Elijah, Jezebel, guess what's happened? And he explains. And she gets so angry, she sends a messenger to Elijah and promises to have him killed if, she, if he's caught by one of her henchmen within 24 hours. Elijah had poked the hornet's nest. Uh, and he could not handle this reaction from her. It wasn't so much that he was afraid that he was going to get killed because... We already know from Elijah, he's pretty bold. He'll put himself in very risky situations, and he has done it lots of times. It was more that he reacted badly because he thought that he'd solved the problem and then his big display of prophetic power had worked. But in fact, Jezebel's still the same Jezebel, and he can see that it's all going to unravel and that his big victory had only had a lasted an hour, and then suddenly things... Are, are uh, uh, going backwards already. What had he done wrong? Was he a failure, he's thinking to himself. And so he sunk into this big bout of depression and anxiety. And when anxiety builds in you, what is normal is that you get a fight or a flight, fight or flight instinct develops in you. Um, when we walk our dog, Harry, who's only like this big, 1.7 kilos, he, he comes up to the big dogs and because he's on the leash, he has a fight instinct because he can't run. He can't flight, he has to fight. So he goes, but he's, if he's off the leash, he runs. He, he goes for the attack and then he runs away quickly because he realises he's going to die. That's the fight or flight instinct. And that's what happens to us when the anxiety builds. And that's what happened to Elijah. He ran away. He ran 160 kilometres south to um, Beersheba, which is the southernmost part of the southernmost kingdom. And he ran with his servant, which suddenly appears in the story. We didn't even know he had one. And he leaves the servant in Beersheba because, again, often when we're depressed or, or suffering from anxiety, we just don't want to be around people. We, we cut our friends and family out. Often that can happen. And he leaves the servant behind and he runs into the wilderness and he hides and he lies down and he wants to die. Verse 4b, he says, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. The thing is, ministry does cause psychological pressure. There have been many studies to show that clergy suffer anxiety and depression at double the rates of the general society, which is interesting in light of the fact that, of what Tom said earlier, which is also true, that going to church has massive health benefits, including mental health benefits, but for clergy, it's actually slightly not the case. Um, they show, the studies have shown, there's quite a lot of them, have shown that the lower you are satisfied in your work as a minister, the more likely you would, you'll be depressed and suffer stress. And the less you experience social support from your friends, family or ministry organisation or your congregation, the more likely you'll experience depression. And for these reasons, I've done two things in my ministry life that I think have really helped me. One is pursued friends. I've really made a huge effort around that. Um, and this doesn't just come... Uh, easily, or you've got to put in effort, I've found. 
and have low expectations, not put too much expectations on your friends. And I've had to keep my eyes open all through my life and go, oh, that person will make a good friend. I'm going to make effort with them. And um, our family goes away on holidays with friends and we have people over for meals and I go out on, you know, hanging out with mates, playing snooker or going to the movies or seeing gigs. That's, this is all part of making friends and if you want to know about making friends, there's a friendship course on. But it's also a really important part of me, my sustaining me uh, in my ministry, strangely enough. Um, the other decision that I made in my ministry, um, which you would think is not that profound, but actually most people in ministry don't do this, and that is to make wise decisions in my ministry. This all applies to any kind of life or work, by the way, but I'm just talking about ministry because it's me. Um, what I mean by wise decisions is most, a lot of people, young people especially in ministry, make silly decisions in ministry in, in that they find themselves doing things that they're not really that gifted for or they don't enjoy and they just do it for all kinds of reasons. And, um, and often that they get stuck in a situation for a long period and then they get burnt out and are very unhappy. And um, so making wise decisions in ministry for me has been about like knowing my capacity, my skills, my strengths and weaknesses and making decisions um, consciously about what I do want to do and what I don't want to do in ministry. So I'll give you an example. Um, last, no last night was the 20th anniversary of the Mustard Schools ministry, which I started. And so there was lots of people there. And it reminded me that... Um, there was a point in my life around 2007 where I had three, th three or four things on the go. I was leading Mustard Schools Ministry. I was leading a congregation, the Youth and Young Adults Congregation at St Hilary's. I was doing a PhD at Melbourne Uni and I was married. No kids. And I remember, and I was on a sabbatical at, um, and for three months for my PhD and I was sitting in the State Library working and I remember just sitting there looking up at the amazing architecture and thinking to myself, all of a sudden this thought popped into my head, you don't have to lead mustard anymore, you can finish. And I had this peace come over me and this relief. And so I just felt like God was saying to me, you don't have to do it anymore, you can let go of it and simplify your life. And so I went and told the chair of the board um, you know, I think it's time for me to hand over the leadership. And it was the best decision I ever made. And so that was about me partly responding to God's leading, but also making sure that I had work satisfaction in my ministry um, because it all can lead me, lead up people when you don't have that down a gurgler, down the gurgler in terms of mental health. No one is forcing you to do what you're doing in your work. You can make choices, choices that will potentially have positive mental health outcomes for you. Well, Elijah was in his depressed and anxious state and he had done what a lot of depressed people do, he slept. And rest can be good, but not too much rest. The psychologists will say, the doctors will say. It's also really important to get up out of bed. People who are depressed and suffering from anxiety often want to just be in bed all the time. 
But getting out of bed can be the best medicine for you. And this is what God did through the ministry of the angel to Elijah, who touched him and told him to get up and eat. Eating is also a really good medicine. If you've suffered from being hangry, hands up who gets hangry. Yeah. And those, probably the rest of you, don't realise you get hangry. You just get hangry. Uh, and then you know, as soon as you eat, oh, you relax. Well, Elijah found out once again that the Lord provided for him. There was some baked bread over hot coals and a jar of water. This is comfort food God had provided through the angel to help Elijah out of his slump. And he ate and he drank and he lay down again. We usually need to be eased out of our um, depression. Uh, it doesn't just happen like that. And so we see a second round of this. He slept a bit. The angel got him up, fed him, and he drank. Even great prophets can get depress depression and anxiety. And if this is you, know that you're not alone. There are many people around you who can help, including mental health professionals, doctors, counsellors and psychologists, and also the ministry and the community of the church. But also know this, even great prophets, this is my second point, even great prophets can learn from their depression and anxiety. After Elijah got up the second time, he ate and drank. He was nourished to the point of being able to travel for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Mount Horeb the mountain of God, which is another name for Mount Sinai. It was on that 40-day journey that, God, that Elijah had first the opportunity to really learn from his depression and anxiety. It seems Elijah wasn't just walking to get to the destination. From um, Beersheba to Horeb, it's roughly 320 kilometres, and he could have walked there much quicker than 40 days and 40 nights, but he's doing it at a certain pace, it seems like he's being a bit like Elijah, a bit like Moses here. Moses walked with Israel after Sinai through the desert for 40 years. Elijah walked to Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. Elijah did this with the sustenance of the ministry from the angel, the food and the water and the, the getting up. And the Moses and the nation of Israel did it through the sustenance of the manna from heaven. For Moses and Israel, these 40 years and was a, a trial of faith, and for Elijah, it was a refining of faith. All Christians benefit from a time of slowing down, meditation, prayer, and reflection. And walking while praying has proven to be really helpful. Um, sitting still in your bedroom, trying to have time with God, can be good for a short period, but for a longer period, can be, for a lot of people, unhelpful because you get distracted, especially now we're surrounded by distractions. Your mind can go to all places. You end up doing other things. Um, but walking helps you focus on your body, not just on your mind, and creates rhythm. And that's why people do pilgrimages like the Camino and that sort of thing, or walking labyrinths. I like to walk sometimes and listen to the Bible or sermons on my iPhone um, I don't know, you, you, you might have things like that too. Well, Elijah didn't have podcasts, but he did have the wilderness between Beersheba and Horeb, which is a pretty amazing um, 
scenery in and of itself. And we know that being in nature is actually shown to have positive mental health outcomes as well. When Elijah climbed up Horeb, he entered a cave, again being like Moses, who climbed up the Mount Sinai and went into the cleft in the rock while the glory of Yahweh passed by. And the Lord said to Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? And God is being like a therapist here, you know, when you sit down with the psychologist and they say, what are we here to talk about today? That's what God's doing. And Elijah responded, verse, verse 10, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Often when we have depression and anxiety, we catastrophize. We assume the worst. We can become self-absorbed as well. We think we're the only one who suffers the way we suffer. Nobody has ever gone through what we're going through, we can think. This is Elijah. Elijah's had to learn that his self-talk was wrong, and he will learn this throughout this chapter. He's, he's learning this, um, but it takes time for him to get to this point. So God sets about trying to teach Elijah um, a bit of a lesson about, about who Elijah is, but also who God is. And God says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And it says, this is a famous part of the Bible. Then a mighty roaring wind comes, but the Lord was not in the wind. And then an earth-shattering earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then there was a roaring fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And then lastly, a gentle whisper. And this time, it doesn't say anything. So we assume the Lord was in the whisper. Elijah heard the gentle whisper and he pulled his cloak over his face to shield his face from the presence of the Lord and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave to be with God. And the miraculous and dramatic displays of wind, earthquake and fire are usually what you associate with God's judgment but the Lord's presence was not in them. In other words, God's saying to Elijah, You've just done this big bull thing with the fire and that's all good and it worked really well and you got to slaughter all the prophets of Baal and, you know, oh, well done. But, you know, I'm not going to do that again. This is not the way we're going to change people's hearts with these huge displays of judgment and wrath. The way we're going to do it is through the gentle whisper of my word. We're going to change people's hearts by my word. If you have depression or anxiety, an important thing to do is to embrace it, is to own the fact that this is a reality. Some people talk about making friends with your anxiety. Oh, I've got anxiety. Today I can, oh, I can see my anxiety's there today, you know. Um, it's a good way to demystify it. And know that in a way, in a real way, God can grow you and teach you through your struggles. And... As you embrace it, get the therapy and the medication you need. This is very important. But here's the point. Don't forget to allow yourself to be shaped by God's word through this time. Don't go for all of the Western medicine and not the, um, the, the most important kind of medicine, which is God's word. Don't disconnect yourself from church. As Tom said, Studies have shown 
Being part of a healthy church is good for your mental health. One such paper published by Oxford University Press two years ago cited multiple studies that proved that Christianity benefited people with psychotic disorders and depression, increased happiness and resilience, and decreased the risk of substance abuse or suicide. And um, as Tom said, you know, yesterday when we went to that conference, um, the, the speaker said that um, there are researchers in, in uh, uh, I think, her, I think it was in Massachusetts, that were um, academic researchers that were looking at the possibility of recommending regular church attendance as a form of medicine because the health benefits are so clear. Paul wrote in, the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12 that God gave him a thorn in the flesh to keep him from becoming conceited. And he said, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And this was Elijah's ultimate lesson. My grace is sufficient for you. For Elijah, the Lord allowed him to keep going as a prophet in his war against Baal in such a way that he wouldn't become arrogant. In his weakness, he learned that he had to rest content with God's grace, whose strength is mighty in our weakness. God was refining his faith as he pressed on. And the good thing is, he got to keep doing ministry. And that's my third point. Even great prophets can do ministry with depression and anxiety. While in many, many serious cases of mental health, you do have to stop and you have to rest and you might have to go to hospital. Um, but in most cases, you can manage it and the doctors can help you or it might be talking therapy or it might be you've lived with this for a while and you know what you need to do. And you can continue with the routine of life, which includes continuing to do ministry. And in fact, to do so, as long as you're not in that really serious case, to do so is good for you. You might think you want to avoid seeing people, but mixing with other people, while it seems daunting, can create opportunities for laughter, for feelings of togetherness, and it de decreases loneliness. And this is where Elijah ended up. God got him doing ministry. So the Lord spoke a second time. What are we here for today, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah responds exactly the same way. I've been very zealous. The Israelites are evil and corrupt sinners. I'm the only righteous one left and they're trying to kill me. He says exactly the same words. He's a bit of a slow learner and that's okay. God says, okay, now we've had enough of this kind of therapy. Time to get up and go and do some ministry. And God says, return the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. Anoint Hazael, king of Aram, and Jehu, son of Nimshi, king of Israel. Anoint Elisha to succeed you. Jehu will kill any who escape from Hazael. Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. The Lord will preserve 7,000 faithful Israelites. You're not the only one who's been faithful. There's 7,000 of them. Um, obviously, God believed Elisha could get on with ministry. And this was all a bit odd, actually, what, what happened here. Um, it's interesting because, for a start, he's saying to go and anoint these kings, and they're foreign kings. And the prophets of Israel have never anointed foreign kings before. So what's God talking about? And then he says, go and anoint your successor, 
your prophet, prophet successor Elisha, and that's never happened before either. Um, and the other odd thing is that Elijah doesn't go on to do any of this. He doesn't anoint the kings, and he doesn't even properly, properly anoint Elisha, and yet all the, these kings do become kings, and Elisha does become the successor. And what does this tell us? It tells us that God loves Elijah and his grace is sufficient for him, but he's not actually that important. Elijah's not that important. He needs to learn that lesson. As in, don't think it's all up to you, Elijah. I've got this, says God. I'm in control. I can fulfill my plans with or without you, Elijah. God told Elijah that these future leaders would continue the destruction of Baal, and so Elijah could have hope. And there were 7,000 faithful Israelites. He doesn't need to think he's the only one around. God's got this. Life is worth living. And for now, get on with your tasks, says God. So to finish my encouragement for you, if you're a person suffering with um, mental health, depression or anxiety or other forms of mental health, you're not a failure. You're not alone. God is in control, fulfilling his plans in the world. And in your own time, when you are ready, get up out of bed. Get out of the darkness of the cave. Lean on your church, church community and journey with God's grace and power. Let me pray for that. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for Elijah and for the ministry that he did, but also the ministry you did to him. And we pray for us all that um, in our struggles, in our mental health struggles, um, that you can minister to us too. We can know your healing and also um, um, know the power of your word in our life. Amen.